Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brooks. Today I'm joined by Francesco Amesbury. How are you, Francesco? Buonasera, Sam. I'm very well, thank you. Excited about the weekend. Yeah, final weekend coming up. And we've got Michael Jones on as well. How are you, Michael? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Really enjoying the weather. And I'm kind of obsessed with this weird glare I'm getting from the sun as I'm on this Zoom call. So I do apologise if I'm sort of bobbing my head left and right during the podcast. I think, I think you'll be fine. Um, we'll get straight to it, though, because as, as I just mentioned, the final weekend of Serie A coming up and it promises to be a really exciting one, actually. Uh, we're going to get cracking on the title race because it's the two Milan clubs. We have uh, AC Milan... Uh, two points clear going into the final weekend. They're away at Sassuolo. It's all in their hands, Francesco. We know that they actually only need a point because of their head-to-head record against Inter. Do you expect them to get the job done this weekend? Um, I think it would be a big surprise if they didn't. Um, the fact that they have... You know, two results at their disposal, I think, makes a big difference. Um, I'm not saying that they'll play for a draw, but um, going into a game without the pressure of knowing that you have to win and have to score, I think, will make it easier. Um, I mean, having said that, I think Sassuolo is probably one of the trickier sides that that they could face. Um, They are a team with real attacking potential. They've got some exciting players. You know, even this weekend, we saw um, how, how... good Berardi and the rest of their strikers can be so I think it is a tricky fixture but I do expect Milan to get it done yeah that's that's an interesting point that you made there and I want to get your thoughts on this Michael where obviously Milan can win or draw the game Is, is there a slight possibility that they you know get dragged into thinking oh we only need a draw and playing a little bit negatively perhaps which may backfire um, I think a little bit. I I think what actually might help in terms of not playing overly cautious for a draw is that Sassuolo are a good enough team that they won't really allow them to do that. They are, AC Milan know the best way of probably beating Sassuolo is by, or getting any result against Sassuolo isn't by sitting back because they do have the creative players that can hurt them. It's actually very much getting at them because their defence, for as good as they've been going forwards this season, Sassuolo have been pretty rubbish defensively this season, as we saw quite recently against Napoli. Um, what was that? That was 6-1, wasn't it? Just at the end of April. So the kind of form that AC Milan are in, I think it does help. It will help from a nerve perspective. I think it's a really good point, Francesco, maybe it certainly will help them with the nerves, knowing they don't need a win. But that doesn't equal them playing for a draw. I think it just helps from a mental perspective and I think they'll definitely just still play to win and I think that's the best and only way they can really get a result. Milan have had it in their own hands for the last three games as well coming into this ever since Bologna lost against Inter. How impressed have you been Francesco with the way they've held it together in those three games against Fiorentina, Verona and, and then Atalanta only conceded one goal, won the last couple in particular fairly convincingly in the end? It, it's been really impressive. Um, I think, you know, before the Bologna game, very few people would have seen Milan winning the title. And even after that game, even after Inter lost uh, against Bologna, 
because of the trickiness of the Milan fixture list, many people still thought that Milan would struggle. I think Fiorentina, Atalanta, you know, we're talking about some of the trickier teams to play against. Even Verona away from home is such a difficult fixture. Verona have caused problems to so many sides. And if you think as well how those games went, they were all a bit different. But the fact that for, you know, I can't remember when uh, Milan scored against Fiorentina, but it was pretty late on. So for 80 minutes, you know, you're struggling to score and then they, they still managed to break the deadlock against Verona in that first half, even though they were playing well, they went behind, but they didn't panic. And it was such an impressive performance. And and this weekend, again, you know, against a good side, we know that Atalanta, you know, were maybe not, not the team that, that they have been over the past two or three seasons, but are still a very good side and they kept their cool. Um, and, and to be honest, in, in all of those games, you really felt like Milan were going to win. I think they have been so impressive possibly more so defensively because it doesn't even look like they're going to concede goals at the moment. I, I can't believe how good, you know, um, Kalulu and, and Tamori have been as a partnership. I think one of the reasons that Milan find themselves in, a, in this position where they are, you know, the big, big favourites to win, to win the league with a game to go is possibly um, the fact that Simon Kier got injured. I think Kalulu has been so good, and and I would argue that they have been a better side with with those two young centre backs than they were when Kier and Romagnoli were on the scene. So, yeah, I I, I think Milan have been uh, th- this this last run, and and not just those games. You know, really for two or three months now they've been so solid. They've they've hardly conceded any goals. They've they've won most of their matches, hardly lost. So. They have been really impressive and, and in the running especially they, they've been excellent. Yeah, just this one more game to go. And you mentioned there Tamori and Kalulu, obviously Mike Mannion, who who's had an excellent first season. <clears throat> we saw Teo Hernandez score an excellent individual goal on the weekend. Um against Atalanta. But one player I wanted to ask you about, Michael, at the other end of the pitch is Rafael Leal. Um because I think coming into this season, a lot of people thought he was really hit and miss, but he seems to have got better and better as the season's gone on and has made a real difference, particularly in the last sort of three games. How highly do you rate him? And do you think he's, you know, a potential superstar? Yeah, I think he is. I think he's been one of the outstanding, if not the outstanding attacking player in the second half of the season, particularly the past three months. I think with the departure of Lukaku last season, we were maybe looking for that. Barella's not quite had the same, even though he's not just an attacking player. He was certainly one of those main attacking talents last season with the likes of Lukaku Hakimi going as well. So the focus has been on AC Milan and who their star attacking players have been. And Raffaello has been absolutely sensational. I mean, I really enjoyed his performance against Lazio a few weeks ago, but he's just kept going and... In addition to the goals that he's providing, he provides such brilliant width to the team, but he's also got this beautiful, I mean, what helps and what can really move him to that sort of superstardom is how aesthetically pleasing a player he is as well. I mean, like watching him sort of take off and just start gliding past players with that consummate ease is just brilliant to watch. And, you know, we we saw at the beginning of the season very early, his early numbers were showing us that his numbers were improving. But now... He's kind of he's kind of coming into you coming you're going into an AC Milan game and you're expecting him to get a goal or assist and it was very much like you were hoping for him to get a goal or assist like a year even a year ago or something which I think is an indicator of just how far he's coming and I think 
you mentioned Hernandez. I mean, that Hernandez goal is that has to be goal of the season for me. I don't know the last time I've seen a goal better than that. I thought it was absolutely unbelievable. And I think Hernandez has had a really terrific season as well. And I think Pioli's worked on that left side so much for them. And I think that in terms of them going forwards is also so key to them potentially winning the Scudetto. Yeah, it does seem to be the case. Um, I want to move on to Inter now um, because obviously they still do have a little opportunity and they're hoping for a slipper. Francesco, they host Sampdoria at, at, at the same time as Milan's game. Do you expect them to definitely win that game and, and force Milan to pick up a result? Or do you think there's a chance that maybe they slip up and Milan don't even have to get anything in the end? I don't think it's out of the question that Inter could draw or lose this game um, because as as much as anything else, um, San Siro can be quite a tricky place to play if the pressure is on and things aren't going your way. So I think if if Inter don't break the deadlock you know, early in the game, then, then they could feel that pressure from the fans. But, but it would be a big surprise. I think, um, you know, the question mark this weekend is is more about whether Sassuolo can can win against Milan, which which seems a lot more likely than than Samp beating Inter. Um, so yeah, I I'd be very surprised if Inter don't uh, you know win this game and and force Milan to to get a result in in Sassuolo. And uh, Michael, someone I wanted to ask you is. Um... Inter have won the Supercoppa this season and they won the Coppa Italia last week. Uh, sorry, a couple of weeks ago it was now, I think. Um, or was it last week? It might have been last week. But um, yeah, they've won two trophies this season, but it looks like they might miss out on the league. So how do you assess Inzaghi's first year taking over from Conte? I think it's hard to be sort of overly positive if AC Milan win the league, but... I do actually think he's had a really good first season. I mean, there's been maybe limitations we've seen with this side, but the conditions that he came into the season with in terms of the financial problems that Inter Milan were going through last summer, the departure of key players, um, kind of bringing in sort of players who really had quite high standards to fill. If you look at the likes of Dumfries, if you look at the role, Jekka was essentially kind of brought in to replace Lukaku. Okay, he's not quite done that, but he certainly had a good season. And I think you kind of look all over the pitch and Inzaghi's got a squad that's aching to the way he wants to play. They were they got out of the group stages in the Champions League, which is something that Inter Milan weren't able to do under Antonio Conte and gave Liverpool a good game. And you never know what could have happened had Alexi Sanchez hadn't been sent off straight after that Martinez goal at Anfield. So I think there's, yeah, there's certainly cases, a case to say, yeah, it's not been as successful as last season because the league is the sort of ultimate priority, especially when your rivals are on the verge of winning it. But if Inter Milan, Inter Milan have ultimately still taken this to the last day, and if they do, they could still win it, and then it would be a remarkable season. I think the one downfall is maybe just at times how it looked like they could have really gained a much bigger lead than they did and they weren't able to sustain that. Um, you know, they had a really poor start to 2022, which kind of set the tone for the title race we've got now. But 
you look at it and you think, yeah, there's a lot of signs, of, there's positive signs that progress will be made with this team and they are going to get better if they can keep these players, of course. And that's what I, I, I wanted to move on to, um, Francesco, with these players. Um, it seems that Inter still have these, these financial problems and they may have to sign, uh, sell you know, at least one of their sort of star names. A few of the names mentioned with potential exits, I've, I've seen Lautaro Martinez, Bastoni, and, and possibly even Dumfries after one season. Who do you think is the player that they could perhaps uh, most afford to get rid of? Or, or alternatively, who do they have to keep, do you think? I think it depends on uh, who you know, who they bring in. Um, I, th you know, all, all of, I think it'd be a real shame if those, if any of those three left in that, you know, I think Dumfries has come on massively this season. Um, he's, he's been excellent, a really good replacement for, for Hakimi, considering the difference in the price tag. It feels like Bastoni is a, um, you know, to me, feels like a future in captain who, who could be there for, for 10 plus years and, and, and start for them every season and Lautaro Martinez as well you know they they picked him out of Argentina and again he really has improved season upon season and, and this season it feels like he's really kicked on massively so Inter deserve credit for what they've done with those players and, and it would be a real shame to see any of them go and I guess if they have to to sell them, it, it depends on who they bring in. There's there's a big, you know, the moment there's uh, strong links with Dybala. And I guess if Dybala comes in, then in a way, letting Lautaro go would, would make more sense than letting one of the other two go. So at the same time, you know, Inter have also been linked with, with Bremo, for example. And, and if he came in, then maybe Bastoni would be the guy to, to let go. So it, it depends on, on the market coming in, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I hope for the league and, and for and for Inter as well that, that those players stay. Yeah, certainly would be good to keep <clears throat> as many of those star names in Syria as possible. I, I want to move on to the to the other end of the table because we've got a really exciting um, weekend coming up for the relegation battle as well. Um, first of all, Venezia and Genoa were both were both confirmed to be relegated last weekend, Michael. Are you particularly sad to see either of them go? And, and do you expect them to come straight back up? Or, or could it be difficult with, you know, Serie B is a bit of a lottery at times, isn't it? Yeah, I think it goes without saying it'd be difficult. I mean, sort of people anticipating Parma to sort of have the easiest ride of it coming back up this season. What, they're about 10th, you know, not didn't make the playoffs this season. Um I think it's a sad sight to see them both go for different reasons. I mean, Venezia going is sad in the sense that it looked like when they came up, you know, they've kind of got this uh, very sort of American focus, like marketing, but it is kind of, it's, it, it's great for the league. I think it's great for a team of that stature to be having that kind of, um, you know, I guess marketability and also teams becoming aware, you know, fans becoming aware of them worldwide. And the recruitment policy was interesting, to say the least. I'm not sure how good it actually was. It seemed to be sort of very scattered across the whole season, I think, that's played to the downfall a lot. But I guess lessons will be learned, and you'd hope that they make a good stab at it. As for Genoa, I actually think it's I think it's a shame. I'm really confident Genoa, if they keep Alexander Blessing, will go up comfortably next season. We 
haven't seen him actually use that formation he was very successful over Ustend, which I think goes to show that he maybe hasn't quite had the players that he'd like at his disposal. And you'd be you'd think if he's standing the sort of Belgian top first division that he'd have maybe have a similar market in terms of the stature of players he'd be able to attract for them in Serie B, if not better with the new ownership that came in last season. But of course, Genoa have been there for 15 years. We've not seen too many teams who have been kind of longer stays in Serie A go down in recent years. And or at least sort of consistent stays in the top flight. So I think it will be quite a shock. I'm obviously losing the derby with Samp as well will be a shame. But I do think they have to keep blessing for me. I think there's been real signs of improvement. I think he's an exceptional young coach. And I do think if he can maybe get his blueprint on the team more next season, I think they could really steamroll um, Serie B with that investment and um, a proper plan going forward, which I think, and Palmer is the case study not to follow uh, for next season. And so that leaves us with one relegation place to settle, and it's going to be between Cagliari and Salernitana. Now, obviously, a month ago or so, it looked like Salernitana were down, but now they're probably the favourites to stay up. They've got a two-point advantage over Cagliari heading into the last weekend. Salernitana are at home to Udinese, who don't have too much to play for. Cagliari away to Venezia, who, as we just said, have already been relegated. Who do you think's got the easier fixture, Francesco? And, and who are you tipping to stay up out of those two sides? It, I think it's very much in the balance. I could definitely see Cagliari beating Venezia. Um, but... Because of the of the points advantage, I probably would lean towards Saleritana. Um, Saleritana playing at home as well, and I imagine they'll get a huge crowd. So, you know, there's going to be a good atmosphere there. Yeah, if I had to pick who's going to stay up, I'd go for Saleritana, but it is in the balance. There's still what to do for them, and, and I can see Cagliari beating Venezia. And how about you, Michael? How do, how do you see it going out of those two sides? I think the momentum's with Salernitana and I do think that they will stay up. I think they it'd be a real shame if they didn't because of sort of what they've achieved so far. And whilst I, Cagliari should beat Venezia, they've been characterised by inconsistency across the whole season. And for Venezia's positioning, they've not been an easy team to face for many, you know, so many teams have dropped points against them this season. If anything, Venezia have struggled to get enough wins, but they've been subject to a lot of narrow losses to teams considerably stronger in Cagliari. Um, I was quite impressed with their approach against Inter Milan, especially once they got it back to 2-1. And they certainly have a lot of players who can cause problems. But I guess my concern, which may kind of answer why that consistency has been lacking, is have you ultimately just got too many players who have already made, either seen the better days in their career or just aren't motivated enough to play for the team, um, high-profile ones, who are going to give what's required on the final day. And I'm just not convinced there will be. So, yeah, my, I'm I'm leaning towards Salernitana getting a result and staying up. Um, but, yeah, Cagliari obviously going to the game as favourite. So it's going to be a really open one. Yeah, and that, that's, uh, that comes on... Let- let me just check. When is that? That's Sunday night. Those are the last two games the Calgary and San Latino won. So, yes, yeah, Sunday is looking like a really exciting day. Um, 
the other thing that needs to be decided is who's going to get the final couple of European places. We already know the top four, and we know that Lazio are getting Europa League, but there's two other spots up for grabs between Roma, Fiorentina, and Atalanta. So, uh, Francesco, we've got Roma away at Torino on Friday night. We've got Fiorentina hosting Juve, and we've got Atalanta at home to Empoli. So, which team do you expect to miss out on, out of those three? Um. I've I've got a feeling that Roma are going to be very focused on the Europa Conference final. Um, and Torino are, have been a tricky side this season for everyone. So I wouldn't be surprised if Torino won that game. Um, and on the other hand, I, I expect Fiorentina to be 100% focused on the Juve game. It's obviously a big match. Juve haven't got anything to play for, so I could see Fiorentina winning that game. And um, with Atalanta, you know, you'd expect them to beat Empoli, even though they haven't been that consistent this season. So I could see maybe Roma finishing lower than those two sides and possibly qualifying for Europe by winning the, the conference. Um, if I, Yeah, I guess that is probably the most likely scenario, in my opinion. So, yeah, in terms of league position, I'd say Roma would miss out, but possibly qualify by by beating final next next week yeah of course there there is the possibility that all three qualify as you say if Roma do um win how do you see things going um Michael um uh, yeah I think I think it's quite open I mean you look at Roma's domestic form and it's absolutely rubbish at the moment so going into that Torino team who've had a really strong end to the season and have picked up a number of results against bigger teams even albeit draws a lot of them um I could see that being a bit of a stalemate kind of fixture if anything what might work in Roma's favor if Torino do really go for it because it is that last day of the season and that kind of just adds to the unpredictability of it all as well I'm not sure we quite know what Juventus are going to come up against uh Fiorentina as we don't know what Empoli are going to come up against Atalanta really um with very much all three of the team's seasons, very much sort of playing for points tallies now, as opposed to their objectives for the season, as in many senses, they've all been met. So I think it's going to be a really hard one to predict. I think, I kind of do think Fiorentina will get a result because I think it maybe means the most to them. I think Atalanta ultimately will be facing a rebuild either way. I think Europa Conference League, I, I kind of want to see one of Atalanta or Fiorentina in the Conference League because we've seen how well it's done for Roma this season. And I think both of those teams would obviously go in as one of the strongest teams into the competition. I think they could give it a real go and it'd be great for one of those teams to have a great run next season. Obviously, it kind of depends on state Atalanta are next season, but you'd suspect they'd be very strong contenders. So, yeah, I'm kind of weird. I think Roma should win the Europa League, uh, uh, Conference League, sorry, and qualify for the Europa League. And it will be, it might be the case of who finishes in that lowest position, who ends up taking eighth, which I'd probably just go with Fiorentina based on Juventus being a tougher opposition. But I think all three teams we, who they're facing, we can't really predict what they're going to be like because of that last day of the season on the beach nature to it. Yeah, we'll talk more about that Europa Conference League final in, in a little bit. Um, I now want to move on to 
you know, there's quite a few big name players who are departing Syria this weekend, uh, you know, having their swan song or at least departing their current clubs. Uh, I'm going to start with Juventus, who have two players, um, two high profile players leaving in Chiellini and Dybala. Uh, Francesco, I know we spoke a, a few weeks ago about, you know, Chiellini's bowing out from Italy as well uh, this summer and where he ranks in terms of Italian defenders. But in terms of a club legacy, how do you see um, his legacy at Juventus in terms of where he ranks maybe amongst the icons of, of years gone by, such as, you know, Buffon and Del Piero and Baggio, just to name a few? I'd put him right up there with uh, with all of those. I'd put, I'd put him ahead of Baggio. I'm not sure how the fans feel about Baggio. I think they're a bit mixed because he, he played for all of the big Italian clubs. But, you know, Del Piero and Buffon are basically Juve royalty. And, and I think Chiellini would would rank right up uh, alongside those guys. I think he is probably kind of the, the most representative Juve player in this recent period of dominance. Um, I think... When you think of Juve you, and and how they dominated Serie A, you, you do think of Chiellini probably more so than anyone else, even of even Buffon. So, I think um, he he's right up there. And I'd also say about Chiellini that even though he is um, a Juve legend, if you like, um, there is a fondness for him amongst fans of other clubs, which is not always true of of Juve players. I think the contribution he's made to the national team especially the victory in the Euros uh, last summer means that that he is quite fondly remembered. Well, remembered, I'm, I'm talking as if he's, uh, you know, he's he's already retired, but he'll be fondly, you know, he's hold, held in esteem by, by fans, uh, you know, across Serie A. And um, I think it is well-deserved because he is, he's a likeable, intelligent person and, and he has contributed so much to Juve, but also to Italy. Yeah, he, he leaves behind a, a huge legacy, that's for sure. Um, the, the other player, as I mentioned, is Dybala, who, um, you know, there were lots of tears on Monday night, weren't there, when, when he went off against Lazio. Um, but it's a strange one, really, because he could end up going to Inter, you know, Juve's biggest rivals. Um, or he's also been linked with Roma, and, and we've also seen him being linked with moves abroad. So, Michael, where, where do you see Dybala ending up this summer? Yeah, I think Inter Milan's a real possibility. You know, we were discussing Lautaro Martinez departing when you were asking Francesco. I would say that's probably, if they do need to raise funds, that transfer for Dybala, I think one, I think all round, Dybala's maybe a more rounded player, albeit the injury issues. But we have seen quite a few times in the past with players, for whatever strange reason it is, when they do seem to move onto pastures new, you do also sometimes see an injury record start to bizarrely improve as well. And you kind of hope that's the case with Dybala, who, for all his injury problems, has still played a prominent role for Juventus this season. I think, stylistically, him playing under Inzaghi, I think he's just a match made in heaven. And in league, he knows well, but a more fluid system, which I think Dybala's not really been able to play in, in for quite a number of years now, or at least one that's sort of, very functional at doing that and yeah I think I think Inter Milan is the move that makes sense I'd be a bit skeptical about him going to the Premier League it's not whether I think he's got the quality to do it I think he does but whether 
that I think it, there certainly would be a time for him that would be needed to settle in and whether there is just that patience for him to hit the ground running and there's the right environment I'm not sure I think Inter Milan could be sort of the perfect environment for him really and especially because he's at that stage of his career where he doesn't want to be spending a long time settling in, in into new settings so you know he, he's want to he'll want to sort of re-establish himself as one of the world's best attacking players which I think on his day he is and I think that's where he could really most likely achieve that into Milan so that's a transfer I'd really like to see happen. Yeah, I, I don't think many Juve fans would agree with you there, but but it does seem like that could well happen. Um, moving on to Napoli, and of course, uh, Lorenzo Insigne's uh, bidding farewell to go to Canada. Um, I get sort of similar with Chiellini. What, what sort of legacy does Insigne leave behind Francesco? And can you maybe compare him to another playmaker we've seen in Syria? Um, you know, Perhaps he's a bit similar to Papu Gomez at Atalanta, although obviously Papu Gomez was at Atalanta a bit of a shorter period. But these footballers who can just conjure something up out of nothing, um, you know, we, we tend to love them, don't we? Yeah, I think Insigne, because of his kind of Neapolitan origins, you know, the fact that he's from the area makes him very well liked among the Napoli faithful. I, I also think that at times through through his career that has caused him problems. Uh, you know, they, they seem to have had more of an issue with when when things have gone badly for Napoli, they seem to have criticized Insigne more so than other players, which probably isn't fair. I think uh you know he's gonna be he is now the second highest scorer in Napoli's history. He's overtaken Maradona. Um and he has been part of the most consistent Napoli team in history. You know, they've been consistently towards the top end of Serie A. Um, they're probably not as good as the as the Maradona team, but but after that, then this is the best team Napoli have ever had. And he's been a huge part of that. And Napoli should, you know, the, the Napoli fans should remember this period uh, very fondly. And, um, you know, he he probably won't go down as as in the same kind of considered in the same way that Maradona's considered. I think when Mertens retires and leaves Naples, he'll probably have a higher standing than Insigne. But but he has been great, and I think the comparison you make, Sam, to to Papu Gomez is is a reasonable one. You know, they play play in a similar kind of area of the pitch. To me, Insigne's great strength, I think, the thing that distinguishes him from other kind of attacking wingers slash playmakers is he is the best in the world in my opinion at bringing in bringing attacking fullbacks into play I think the reason that Spinazzola was so effective for Italy last summer had a lot to do with the fact that he was playing behind Insigne I think if you remember the seasons when Goulam was one of the best fullbacks in the world at Napoli so much of that was to do with playing behind Insigne so I think you know, he is going to be missed for, for, for many reasons. And yeah, I, I'd, I'd say maybe not, not in the very top level of European attacking players, but, uh, but a very good attacking player. And I hope he does well in, the, in America, and I'm, I'm sure he will. Yeah, promises to be a big transfer for him. Um, but yeah, it will be, will be quite an emotional weekend as he bows out uh, from Serie A. 
there are, of course, a couple of other players that Napoli could lose this summer who've already been linked with moves away, and that's Ozimen and Koulibaly. Michael, do you think Napoli will be able to keep hold of those two, or are you a bit fearful that you know at least one of them might depart this summer? I think it's maybe a matter of time with Victor Simeon. I think Simeon is one of those players who does seem destined to grace the Premier League and the sort of finances that are on offer there at some point. I know he's heavily linked to Newcastle, United, I think Arsenal have been linked. I personally would like to see him stay in in Naples for at least one more season. I think we maybe we've seen signs and we've seen phases and periods of him at his best, but we've not seen it over the course of the season, which for the transfer fee that he did cost from Lille, really we should be seeing. I think the sort of counterpoint to that is given his age and his profile and sort of what he is able to do as a player, Napoli won't be short of high money offers where they'll maybe, if not at least make their money back, make a profit on him. And if offers like that do come in, is it just a bit too much for them to turn down? As for Koulibaly, I think it's, again, I think it's maybe a bit safer. I think he's almost been priced out by De Laurentiis um, a number of times over the past few years. And I, I don't see an immediate threat of him going. I think there's clear progress being made at Napoli under Luciano Spalletti. Koulibaly is obviously very passionate about the club. I think it helps that he won the AFCON in January as well in terms of sort of achieving some of those career ambitions. And I'm sure there's a part of him that does believe that this Napoli team could challenge for the title next season. What what I'd say, I mean, I I disagree with Michael slightly on this because I think that with um, with Osimhen, he he is still young enough that he's um, he's going to have time to move on to a bigger club. And I think you know the clubs Michael mentioned there, that is not necessarily. In fact, I'd argue it's not a step up at the moment. You know, I don't know if Arsenal are going to qualify for the Champions League. Newcastle aren't going to qualify for the Champions League. We know that Napoli are definitely going to play Champions League football. That will be the first experience that Aussie men has of the Champions League. And and I think he is the kind of player that next season could score 25, 30 goals. I don't think that's it's inconceivable to think that. And possibly next summer, he'll have some huge offers from even bigger clubs. So I think he probably will. Also, the fact that he is probably going to keep his value uh, means that De Laurentiis is not going to be in a rush to sell. And we know that De Laurentiis, if he doesn't want to sell someone, it doesn't really matter how much you offer. He'll just stick to it. With Koulibaly, I feel like we're getting to the point where he's he's probably going to have a final chance to get a really big contract. And so I think if a big club does come in for him, um, there'd be more of a temptation for, for the player himself to leave but also for Napoli to cash in because whilst he's not old, he is getting to the age where players start to command less of a transfer fee. So I think of the two, it's more likely that Koulibaly leaves, but but I think that they probably will both stay. I think Koulibaly will stay forever at Napoli. <laughs> he seems to be linked with a move away every year, but it never materialises. I, I don't know, he just seems to seems to love it there, but we'll see. I could be wrong, could be wrong. Um Another player who could leave this summer, I wanted to move on to Lazio, and that's uh, Milinkovic-Savic, who's had an excellent year, hasn't he? I think he's 
around the double figures mark for goals and assists in Syria. Um, if he does move on finally, um, and and you know Lazio have done an amazing job to get I think seven seasons out of him. Um, where could you see him possibly going, Michael? Manchester United's been the most clear link. I'm not sure that'd be the best move for him at all. But, I mean, Latito's kind of had a similar attitude to, with Milinkovic-Savage to what De Laurentiis has had with the likes of Koulibaly over the years, where I think he came out and said last week that just two years ago they rejected an offer of £120 million. I'd be very surprised if they get anything near that, just because he is 27 now, even though he's going into his prime years. I think the transfer market has also changed drastically during that period as well. So... I still don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he will leave this summer. Um, I think if he did, I'd, I'd, I'd really, I think he could be a really good fit in Bundesliga with maybe Bayern Munich or because it is going to be a massive club that he goes to who's got a lot of money behind them. And I, I do think he could really offer a solution to Juventus's midfield problems, but I guess we'll have to see. Um, I, I'm sure, yeah, it's not one Lazio fans will want to hear, but I think he's he's... If, if the price is right and they're able to sort of negotiate a transfer for him, they, he'd be a big bonus for many teams. We'll have to see what happens with Milinkovic-Savic. It, it does seem that his time at Lazio might be coming to an end, though. I, I just want to finish on their city rivals, Roma, because obviously a huge week, as, as we've already mentioned a few times on this episode. On next Wednesday, they play Feyenoord in the Europa Conference League final. Um, Francesco, how do you see this game going? And, and do you also feel that perhaps the success of Roma's season depends on it in that if they lose, their season might be seen as a little bit underwhelming considering where they're likely to finish in the league as well? Um, I think it's uh, it's a tricky game. I think Feyenoord are a decent side, although they... You know they finished third in Holland. They they finished well off the pace of of Ajax and, and PSV. But but I think they are a decent team. You know they beat Marseille in the semi-finals, so I don't expect it to be easy. Um, but I would have Roma as slight favourites. I think Mourinho kind of since the the win over Leicester has been almost one hundred percent focused on this game. I think he's he's almost kind of put the league to one side, and so. You know, Roma, I think, are going to be ready and certainly focused for this game. Um, if they don't win, you know, and they don't qualify for Europe, um, you know, it's not a great look for Mourinho. But I would say that it's still been a positive season. It feels like Roma are in a good position to to start challenging again. I think Mourinho has brought some, some enthusiasm to, to the team. And, and to the fans, you know, they've had a lot of support this season, a lot of people going to the Olympic or to watch. Um, and I think if they do win, then it will be a very successful first season. I also think he's done some, you know, some good things with some of their players. You know, we've seen him bring in Zalewski, who's been a success. I think Tammy Abraham has had a fantastic season and, and Mourinho was instrumental in him coming to Roma. And, and he, you know, he really has managed to get the best of it, out of him. And I also think that they are not a fantastic side. I think they they are possibly slightly overrated in terms of the players they have. Um, you know, people like Cristante, who's an Italian international, people like Mancini, who's an Italian international. I think all of Roma's defenders are a bit ropey, to be honest with you. 
in terms of top level football. So considering the quality of the squad um, and, and, you know, the enthusiasm that, that Mourinho has managed to bring and the fact that he's brought, brought them to the European final, I think he's done okay, and and I think he's he's set them up to do better in the future. And and if they win the the Europa Conference, and I think it will be, you know, it can be considered a very successful season. Yeah, Michael. Um, it, it seems that Roma and Feyenoord are perhaps quite evenly matched sides going into this. So, do you think having Mourinho and and his record in finals is really good? Does that perhaps just give Roma the edge for this game? Yeah, I think so. I think they also, in addition to having that sort of star quality for big moments on the bench, they also have maybe, or I think quite comfortably, more players with that individual match-changing ability on the pitch as well. I think if you look at the likes of Zaniolo, Abraham, of course, Pellegrini, there's Mkhitaryan, there's a number of players that can really cause problems. Um I am really intrigued to just sort of see from an English perspective, you know, Tammy Abraham's been a big story for Roma this season, but Reese Nelson, um, apparently he's been doing really well on loan from Arsenal at Feyenoord. He's a bit of a doubt whether he's fit or not for the final, but um, it'd be great to see sort of one of them be on a winning side of a debut European campaign, which I've really enjoyed. And I think Roma is the way, and I think that's one thing, if we sort of look aside from how he assessed Roma's season, I think that's one thing that Mourinho and Roma should be really credited for is the role they've played in the sort of launch of this competition this season. Because I think it is an important competition for getting teams from all around Europe more involved, like getting the likes of final, seeing them in the European final, which, you know, the Europa League, although you could say maybe they're a similar team in terms of quality to the likes of Rangers and Frankfurt, the route to the Europa League may have been a, a Europa League final may have been a lot more difficult. And if you compare sort of Roma's role in the tournament for how seriously Mourinho has taken it compared to likes of Tottenham Hotspur, who didn't even get through the groups and were unable to fulfil their fixtures, um, I think it's a real testament to the club. And I think they've done a lot of things right off the pitch this season. And I'm quite confident they'll get it right on the pitch come the come Wednesday. Yeah, well, it promises to be a really um, entertaining final next Wednesday and we'll see how it goes. But uh, that concludes the episode. Thanks a lot for joining me, Michael and Francesco. And we'll, we'll be sure to discuss how things go next week. Thanks for everyone for listening. Ciao.